Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about. Your online identity begins with your domain name. Go to hover.com slash CanadaLand for 10% off your domain. The decline of the North American newspaper has been slow and steady. You can follow that downward trend and and make a guess of when you think it's going to hit bottom. But death is different than decline. It's not predictable. Death can be abrupt. Last week, Canada's two biggest newspaper chains, Post Media and Torstar, announced that they had swapped 41 newspapers, 34 of which they were immediately killing. I talked about this and glibly suggested that some of these papers have gotten so lousy that readers might not even notice or care. I singled out the Metro papers. That wasn't really fair. 
I mean, yes, on the one hand, you know those Metro newspapers, the free commuter rags that you browse through on the subway. Yes, they are disposable by design. They are infotainment pamphlets. A simulation of a newspaper, as some jerk once put it in a magazine column. Okay, that was me. But they were also newspapers reporting and publishing original stories about their communities. Take Metro Ottawa. It was the first news org in the country to run stories about how police were simply throwing away a shockingly high percentage of sexual assault claims, declaring them unfounded without any real investigation or due process. That local Ottawa story, of course, would later be investigated on a national scale by Robin Doolittle of the Globe and Mail, deservedly winning the highest praise and awards in the business. But Metro Ottawa had it first. Now, Metro Ottawa is gone. Nobody can even tell us for sure if that original unfounded article or any of Metro Ottawa's archives will remain online or get totally wiped. Two days after the news hit, Canada Land producer Kevin Sexton spoke to half of Metro Ottawa's editorial team. His name is Kieran Delamont. So how did you find out that you lost your job? Uh, so on Friday, we were told we had an all-staff meeting on Monday morning. No real indication of what it was about. It didn't sound like good news, but we kind of asked around. There was no rumors of this going on that any of us were able to sort of track down. So we kind of we showed up all sort of blind Monday morning. Everyone's kind of in a boardroom. The publisher is there, Catherine Bradbury, uh, the editor-in-chief, I guess, of Metro. Mm-hmm. Um, she came in uh, with somebody from the HR department and announced basically that Post Media had acquired Metro Ottawa and Metro uh, Winnipeg and uh, was shutting them down. It wasn't really until after that we all uh, understood what the scope of it was. By 9.30, uh, you know, 9.45, when we sort of spilled out of that meeting, you know, all of us sort of checked Twitter. And then we saw the list of 22 papers getting shut down. And then the extent of it became clear very quickly. Yeah. How are you feeling, man? Um, it's sad because it's hard to be on the end of something that feels very much out of your control. Mm-hmm. And we were doing good stuff and we were, you know, we were showing up and, and really sort of throwing ourselves into the, into it every kind of, every single day. Right. So it's sad to not have that outlet anymore. Uh, it's, it's sad to have really kind of felt like you had no control of it. It's, it's, I think that it's sad for the state of you know news in, in general and a lot of really good people lost their jobs. You know, I'm sad for various reasons, but you know, at the same time, I'm looking ahead and, and looking forward to doing more sort of different stuff and not having to write three stories every single day uh, will be uh, a little bit of a welcome change. <laughs> yeah. So, so what's what's on the horizon? To be honest with you, I don't know. In immediate short term, you know, I think both of us from Metro, me and, and Ryan Tumulty are uh, going to try to sort out press passes and parliamentary press passes and stuff like that and just kind of keep our options open. So were there only two of you at Metro Ottawa? It was just you and Ryan? Yes. Wow. We had about three reporters yeah. and one editor. One reporter left to go to her master's over in England. And my understanding was, you know, just a job never quite got posted. There was a lot of stuff going on uh, behind the scenes. And then our editor uh, took another job within the company. You know, we went down to two, which is fine. You can do this paper with two people. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And then, I mean, Metro, if you pick up Metro, a lot of it is filled with national, like CP stuff. Um, yeah. We get somewhere between three and seven local pages per day. Seven pages is a lot to fill with two people. 
seven pages is a lot to fill with two people. It was it was dreadful when those seven page days would come down. This is going to keep happening. Post Media claims that they are right sizing, cutting until they reach some magical number of newspapers and journalists that will be sustainable. But that is just not true. The reality is, and everything that they have done tells us that this is the case, they are going to keep cutting until there is nothing left. So what then? Reporter Chris Powell cut his teeth at small community newspapers. These days, he writes about the business side of the media, including the newspaper industry, for trade publications like Strategy Magazine. He says it does not have to be this way. He has spoken to newspaper executives and to advertisers, and he has looked at the numbers. He says that the conventional wisdom is wrong. Newspapers do not have to die. And he joins me in a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Jennifer Costigan, Jessica Daly, Cameron Ketchum, Darren Zanussi, Alastair Hibbard, Octavie Bellavance, Jason Cook, and Graham Anderson. Hi, my name is Graham Anderson, and I work for an engineering firm in Toronto. I support Canada Land because supporting Canada Land is supporting all Canadian media. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. And this episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Hover. Hover is what you want to use when you need to find a domain name and when you need emails that are linked to that domain name. They are simply the right solution for that very frequent problem. They are very simply the company that you want to get that stuff from. 
They are the company that we use for our domain and for our email. They were the company that we chose before they became a sponsor of this show. They have a best-in-class customer support team, and unlike a lot of other places that will sell you a domain name, there's no upselling. Hover has over 400 domain extensions to choose from to help you brand yourself online. That is a lot of choice to help you find the perfect domain name. Let's say that you are a designer or another kind of creative professional. You can use the .design instead of a generic .com or .biz domain extension. By using .design, you're telling everybody exactly what you do. Stand out, brand yourself online with the perfect domain name for you or for your business. New customers get 10% off of any of the 400 plus domain extensions offered by going to hover.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by our founding sponsor, FreshBooks. Quick question for all of you freelancers out there. If you could get back 192 hours a year of your time, would you do that? Our friends at FreshBooks, who make ridiculously easy to use cloud accounting software for freelancers, are the architects behind this question, and for good reason. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time that it takes for over 5 million people to deal with their paperwork. They have rebuilt their app from the ground up, they have taken simplicity and speed to an entirely new level, and they have added powerful new features. We use these things all the time here, and they make our life a lot easier. 192 hours a year, that's two working days per month that you gain by using FreshBooks. It is time to try FreshBooks if you have not yet. They are offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to listeners of this show. To claim this, go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. And when they ask you, how did you hear about us, say CanadaLand. I wrote a column for Masthead when I got laid off from, from marketing in 2009. And I, was, and I said, it's always fascinating to me. And I think I mentioned that in my note to you yesterday. It's how, how they, these companies, they always tout innovation. It's, our, it's, it's the cornerstone. It's the lifeblood of what we do. Okay, we need to get some money. How are we going to do it? Well, we've got some tried and true methods here. Let's just cut staff and reduce frequency, and uh, yeah. we're good to go. Smaller papers by fewer journalists. Yeah, exactly. Innovation. That's the way to do it. Innovation. Yeah, it's like, it's like really? You've learned nothing over this many years? Well, and I mean, <laughs> even just to look at a newspaper, it looks very much the same as it did 20 years ago, uh, except for being much smaller, I mean, and less rigorous. But, like, there's nothing, you know, yeah. to degrade your product is not an innovation, you know? Yeah, like, well, yeah. What is the new thing you're doing yeah. and i guess i guess the biggest thing is just like the rise of advertorial and sponsored and just like the elimination yep. of any kind of um you know hesitancy that <laughs> yeah know. and i reported on that m multiple times at marketing and and media buyers are constantly they would always push they right they would always push 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 to see what they can yeah it's their job and it's editorial job to push back and yeah. at a certain point we yeah. just we lay down you know? I, and i remember having a conversation with philip crawley uh probably seven, eight years ago now, and his thing was, uh, nobody gets my front page. That was the uh -huh. nobody has access to the front page. It's uh, it's like verboten. And that was the time, you know, the star was doing like uh, one third or half page uh, cover flaps and lug advertising at the top of the bass, uh, top uh, of the masthead and all that stuff. So what a and frail. It was, yeah. It's like this is sacrosanct <laughs> until the revenues keep falling. And then it's. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start at the beginning for you and, and tell me about your personal relationship with community newspapers. Okay. Uh, well, I started my career, well, I'll be candid, it was 1988, so I'm going back a long ways. I started uh, Ingersoll Times, which was then owned by an independent newspaper company whose name was a family-owned business, uh, whose name I can't even remember now. 
So rural agricultural community, small. It's it's your classic small town newspaper. Uh, and then I bounced around for uh, uh, a while. I worked in Caledonia, uh, which was a, a, just outside of Hamilton, another small town community newspaper. And then I kindly sort of, I, I you know, it was a bit of a rocky start to my career. And then I finally landed in Orangeville, uh, which is about an hour north of, of Toronto. I landed as a sports editor, writer. Uh, and that's kind of where I finally sort of found my groove and covering local about, sports. Covering local sports. What, like, all, what other like lo- like what, what else did you cover at these other papers? My very first assignment was uh, a council meeting. Uh, they were talking about mill rates and budgets, and I was lost. Right? This I I had never encountered anything like this before in my life. So I was like, I don't know how I'm going to produce copy. Yeah. This. I was hired basically over the phone. They did not even interview me in person. I was hired on the recommendation of a journalism prof. Yeah. I think at the time it's like, we need warm bodies. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, uh, yeah. And then, you know, other things I, I, you know, every Tuesday morning, the local police department would put out a blotter this week's activity. Yeah. You go, right? I mean, it's classic small town, you know, people would call, oh, I saw this in my backyard or I have, it's like the, all the cliches, the, the vegetable that looks like a prime minister or right, right, you know, right. anyth- anything like that. You would cover anything like that. You know, so. the whole kind of like, uh, you know, waiting for Guffman side of it, you know, uh, laughing at sort of how quotidian the stuff can be aside. I, I, I heard, I think Jan Wong make the case for why it makes so much sense for journalists to cut their teeth in these communities. Uh, and I think what she said was that if you fuck up, you're going to run into that person in the grocery store. Yep. You know? Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. it teaches you about responsibility, responsibility and stakes. And like you'll, you'll be held accountable. And the relationship between how well you do your job and whether or not you have access the next time, it's just like you might miss that if you're working in a big city. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, more times than I can remember, I, you know, I would get an angry phone call from people telling me how shitty a job I'm doing. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and why didn't you, you spell Timmy's name wrong or, you know, whatever. I mean, usually minor, banal things, but... They meant something to these people, right? Because it's their, you know, it's their yeah. son, their daughter, whatever. It's their community, so they found it important. And that led you to career writing for um, magazines, national trades, things like that. Yes, yeah. yeah. So I spent most of my career on the trade side of the business, yeah. with some dabbling in community, in uh, sort of mainstream consumer magazines, but mostly trade related. Okay, so we're we're down over thirty of these community newspapers uh, based on this week's news alone. I think it's something like. In the past ten years, over two hundred and fifty newspapers in Canada. Like we we hear about the big ones and the big historical yeah. ones, but there's a lot of little ones. Yeah, there's a lot of little ones that have come. I mean, honestly, I don't know the exact number, of, but I mean, it's been a steady sort of decline. Yeah, yeah, it depends how you count too. There's all sorts of different categories and different. Yeah, ethnic press and trade press and alternative news weekly, farm press, it's... farm publications. That's another category. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The, the the blood on the floor is now waist deep. Anyhow, but. Uh, <laughs> 30 more communities added to the pile that are, are have lost one newspaper. Uh, what is the damage here, if you could describe what these communities have lost? They've lost a local voice, you know? Everything now, it's, you know, I mean, syndicated, it's going to be syndicated news, it's wire copy pickup, all that kind of stuff, right? Like, it's just... Yeah. It's devastating for some of these communities. That in many cases, they were the media voice of record. This is terrible. It's terrible to see people lose their jobs. Um, it's terrible to see newspapers, some of which have been around for over 100 years, disappear. Yep. But we're having the same conversation so many times here, mm-hmm. and everything just keeps trending in the same direction. Is this just a, 
a done deal. Like it just uh, doesn't work anymore. Well, I guess first of all, it depends on how you define a newspaper. Do you define a newspaper as a printed paper that comes out weekly, twice weekly, whatever the frequency might be? Or do you find do you define it as sort of a news gathering and dissemination uh, outlet? Because I think I personally think that you can maintain a quote unquote newspaper as a digital only entity. I don't think that you need the high cost of print. I don't think that you need the high cost of all that kind of thing. I think that I think a two person team in a small community could provide pretty good, I wouldn't say exhaustive, but pretty thorough local coverage. Okay. Well you're here not because you have personal experience in community newspapers, but you're here because you cover print media and you've been covering it for years. Yeah. And when you say you think it can work, I take it that you have looked at the numbers, you've looked at the revenue, you've looked at the costs and said, there is a model here. It's just that these guys aren't doing it. And I want to talk about what that model is. I mean, that's what I really want to get at with you is like, right. is, is there a way this could work? We're going to get to that later. But but first you had, uh, you told me that you vehemently disagree with Paul Godfrey yeah. that with his contention that there's no viable business and that it's not that there's no business model, but there's no business model for a mega chain conglomerate yeah. le- like Post Media. Yeah. That, I, that, that's the issue to you? Yeah, I would stand by that. I, I, I just think that I can't say that I've exhaustively ran the numbers and I can give you a, a profit and loss, uh, a absolute bottom line on what it would cost to run a news gathering and, and uh, news dissemination service. I, I can't definitively say that. But... I am convinced that when you're not paying the overhead for executive bonuses and rent at uh, One Young Street or wherever the Post Media headquarters are and Don Mills or, or wherever they are now. Uh, yeah, the downtown now. Downtown now. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going back a few years. Uh, rent might but, be up, actually. I'm not sure. But, but yeah, in advance of our talk today, I, I just called a, a former newspaper consultant and I just sort of asked him, like, what's the viability of doing something like this? Like, can it be done? And he said, yeah, the, the big problem here is that these new individual newspapers, they may even be profitable. They may be breaking even. They may be profitable. It's, it's hard to sell because you don't break out the P&L for each individual title. However, it is dwarfed by the losses taking place in the big city dailies. Yeah. So any profits or revenues that they make are just being siphoned off to the big corporate entity, and it's unsustainable. I actually called up yesterday, because I was just curious, I called up my former, I guess at the time he was sort of the proprietor, owner of the Orangeville Citizen, which is where I sort of got my career started in earnest. And I just asked him, like, he's been resolutely independent uh, since 1974. Uh Uh, They were approached by Metroland, he told me, they were approached by Metroland in 1989 about selling their paper, and they owned a stake in, I think it was the Caledon Citizen, which is another community newspaper. They rebuffed Metroland. They laughed at the offer. They said it was pityably low <laughs> compared to what they thought the, what the valuation was at the time. He said he doesn't regret the decision at all. But he says, like, you know, it's never been a big money spinner, but it never lost the money either. Yeah. That's his response to me. So, so in some ways, it might be, you know what, you're providing a community service that breaks even. Uh, and I don't know if that's, you know, it, does that appeal to people who want to go into journalism? Like, are you doing it just because of the, the community service aspect? Well, and, I, I, or, some of them. Yeah. Some of them well, I think that, yeah. Maybe the right ones, you know? Yeah, I think there's, all, especially, I think a lot of people get into journalism because they feel, I, you know, I knew from the very outset of my career that this is not going to be, it's not going to be a money spinner for me. I am not going to yeah. get rich and, and wealthy off this. But 
I was drawn to the industry. I liked the people, I, and I and I had sort of a, I guess a knack or a talent for speaking with people and and writing. So yeah. it just seemed like that's the obvious career path. So, <laughs> I mean, you're speaking to something that like is is with specific reference to these these, these small communities, but it mm. actually is like a universal existential question that the industry is facing, which is we've accepted this conventional wisdom that newspapers are doomed. Mm-hmm. And what we haven't considered is the possibility that there is a scale and a size more akin to running a local bakery or like a little restaurant where you're 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 making a decent living for yourself and your staff of two or three. Right. That would be of no interest whatsoever to a major corporation yep. save what you could make by selling the building and selling all, all of the equipment right. to pay off your debt, right? right. Like, like if you could turn a tiny profit, like Godfrey doesn't care, right? No. If, if, that's, if That's that's walking around money for Paul Godfrey, right? I mean, it's- Right. You know? So I, I think like, I've heard it referred to as uh, right-sizing yeah. the industry. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hate that term, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's- Listen, how did these newspapers start? They started as a one, you know, th- this guy that I spoke to yesterday, the newspaper got started in the 1800s. It was ran by- the vice principal at the local school. Yeah. Uh, sorry, this is this is another paper that was part of their family uh, in in Shelburne, which is a little little north of uh, of Orangeville, ran by the vice principal of the school, and these were viable entities. Did they make them filthy rich? I doubt it. But did they make a living and put food on their table and a roof over their head? I would imagine they did, right? Yeah. I, I mean. For some people, that's enough. But I, I mean, you know, obviously for a, for a big media conglomerate, it's, you know, you have different expectations on what revenue looks like. Your speculation in our correspondence was like, well, it wasn't even speculation. It was just like your, your wish and desire. You said like, like, why can't we turn some of these papers over to their employees? Was it even put up for sale? Was there even the possibility of running it as a nonprofit? And it doesn't seem like that was ever seriously considered. Yeah. I don't think it was. I mean, and you can go back. I mean, look at last year, Guelph Mercury, a paper, I think, what, 150 years in business, gone. Yeah. You know, I mean, you've got the Barry Examiner. You've got the Aurelia Packet and Times. Uh, These are papers with a proud, long heritage. They've been serving that community for a long time. There's no equity in that name. There's no people on staff who would say, man, I wish that we could give it a try and see what we can do, independent of... Mm-hmm. Toronto, uh, the corporate headquarters in Toronto. What could we do with this entity? I I've I wondered about this a lot. Where you have papers that the equity of the name, the masthead, the relationship it has with this community, whatever credibility it has, that's where there's value in continuity, right? As opposed to just starting from scratch. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I like throwing things away and starting from scratch. It feels, <laughs> it feels fresh and clean, and right. you and you don't have all this baggage and. And the adage that comes up on this show a lot that no dinosaur ever gave birth to a mammal. It's easier to just build the exact right thing than to try to transform the old thing. It's funny. I, I spoke to the consultant yesterday and I said, you know, I'm wondering if there's a chance for a renaissance in a way for newspapers. And he was quite blunt. And he said, I don't think that the word renaissance and newspapers would ever go together, <laughs> which was uh, kind of humorous at the time, but also a little bit, a little bit sad. And shouldn't <laughs> we throw, I mean, this, this romantic notion of, of these papers is like, I don't know, like, first of all, it, it, your memories of, of starting off as a cub reporter, notwithstanding, and everybody's fond memories of their papers, we have to deal with the reality of what they've become. And this yeah. may be also because of those corporations. I have... Um, accidentally offended a lot of people 
by denigrating some of these papers that just got killed. And, and right. I, so I, I, I can't state enough uh, the caveat that there were there were solid reporters doing really serious and great work at each, was, each of these papers. Absolutely there were. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that being said, the process for decades now has been to degrade the product. Right has been Abs- to, yeah right like yeah like, but uh, not on any fault of the reporters I mean that's the that's the corporate entity saying we need look quarterlies are coming up we need something to show the market what are we going to do we need you know <laughs> advertising revenue wasn't going up so how do we make the numbers look better well what can we do we can probably eliminate a couple positions here. Yeah. Uh, spread, you know, I mean, it's, you know, on an individual basis, that doesn't sound like much. But now spread that across an entire network of newspapers and you can see that that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and these situations did occur where you had papers that were advertising wire wire copy aggregation and one reporter filing stories. You know? That was me at the end of my. Uh, and, and it's interesting to note that this precedes the advent of, of, of Facebook and Google and all of these things. This was happening a long time ago. Yeah, People forget that. Yeah. So uh, this was from the 1981 Kent report. So the quote was, concentration engulfs Canadian daily newspaper publishing. Three chains control nine-tenths of French-language daily newspaper circulation. Three other chains control two-thirds of English-language circulation. So that's 1981. (laughs) So, yeah, this is not a, you know, it's just, in many cases, things just get swapped around and, you know, moved around and... Honestly, sometimes I just wonder what the purpose of these deals is. I mean, are you really trying to better your company? Or are you just trying to show Bay Street that, hey, look, we've got a plan. Look at Post Media with the, the, I'm not sure if they still have that policy in place, but the national editorial that they were running uh, where the editorial was repeated across the network, right? I mean, yeah, that's classic example of economies of scale. Hey, you know what? One writer... 10, 13, whatever the, whatever the number of uh, post-media newspapers is, uh, right across the chain. Yeah, but part, I mean, part, part of it, I guess you're suggesting, is just like it was growth for the sake of growth. It was just uh, always pleasing the shareholder with... Uh, yeah. In, in decades when newspapers were immensely profitable. I mean, I think that's really what we're experiencing, is that it's an industry that almost felt like it was their their uh, privilege, their birthright, to enjoy double-digit profit margins yeah. every single year. Yeah. For decade after decade. Yeah. Well, there was a story. I remember speaking with uh, a quite senior media buyer. This was several years ago now. And he was relaying the story of how every year the newspapers would send out their and their notice to advertisers and buyers about their rate increases for the, for the coming year. That was just the way it was done. Rates are going up X number of percent next year. Uh, yeah. Deal with it. <laughs> right? What are we going to do? If, <laughs> this is, this if you want to reach like local uh, readers, yeah. right? I mean, I guess you had local radio and local TV, but the, yeah. the newspaper had a special spot. Like, yeah, it did. But this buyer, his response to that was, uh, this, and this was in the midst of this huge undermining and changing of the industry, was that the days when newspapers would dictate terms to us are long gone. In other words, it's like you'll take what we give you in terms of advertising and you'll be grateful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. And then we started bending over backwards to accommodate them and and, uh, handing over everything but the front page. In in the case of Post Media, the front page. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I remember that that was a big F and I I wrote about it for Marketing Magazine. Holy cow, look, they put an ad on the front page. You know, they've sold the front page. I mean, that's – it's – my God, it's sacrosanct. I mean, that's the, you know, if there's any one space in the newspaper that's sacrosanct, it's page yeah. <laughs> page one. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, yeah, when you would see cover wraps, 
Yeah. And it's not page one. It's, it's, it's a it's, wrap. Yeah. It's, it's just well, a wrap. I mean, a Metro. It's unwrap it. You got a newspaper. Right? You look at, I mean, when Metro came into the market, it yeah. totally excited because it's like, here's this group that was like, Anything goes. What do you want to do? We're open for business. Yeah. And I remember speaking with Bill McDonald, the publisher, and it's like, yeah, we can we can accommodate that. There's no real qualms. I mean, you know, I think they still practice sound editorial judgment, but I mean, it's like, it's, it's a bottom line thing. We need to make money. Returning to this issue of, of uh, the inevitability of this consolidation, you know, the Kent report uh, is, you know, that was one point, but, we, you know, we have a competition bureau. We have, we have had moments where... Paul Godfrey has gone and said, "Oh, can I can I swallow up uh, the the sun chain of newspapers?" And where was the competition bureau then? Yeah, like (laughs) did they step in? I mean, my goodness, you couldn't ask for more consolidated markets than when Post Media bought the Sun products. (laughs) So uh, yeah, and now those same chains that did not want the government to get in their way when they were you know either selling it off to uh, foreign funds are now looking to the government saying, "Bail us out." Yeah. Your revenues uh, ten years ago were three billion dollars, and where were you? were you asking for government handouts then? Or, yeah. I mean, maybe you would have accepted them, but <laughs> business was good, money was rolling in. You know, when Godfrey was uh, making the rounds, doing interviews about how his hands were tied and he had to kill these papers, he had an interaction on Business News Network that I thought was interesting, where the where the host was sort of letting him off the hook and saying, "Well, you know, as we all know, there's been a a slow and steady decline to ad dollars." over the years, and Godfrey was quick to say, you got it. But in fact, that's not true. It hasn't been a slow and steady decline. Uh, the, well, it depends on, yeah, a decade, give or take. But, the, when, but you know, when... the projections of how the money would, would drip away was like, a, like, a, like a, a slow hill, and in fact, in reality, it was like a cliff. Yeah, and uh, in advance of our conversation, I just pulled up uh, every year, um, Think TV, which used to be the Television Bureau of Canada, releases ad spend numbers yeah. uh, for the entire country. So they list every every uh, medium. So yeah, this figure, frankly, uh, I found stunning. So 2007, newspapers, uh, which is uh, listed as both community and daily, 36.2% of the total media ad spend. As of last year, 16.4%. Uh-huh. Internet in that same period, 116 to 42%. I mean, the, that first one was uh, was was half. It lost. It lost more than half. This, I'm a writer, so I don't ask me about the math. Okay. <laughs> but they, yeah. So roughly. Yeah. yeah. Let's right. I mean, yeah. You go from 36 to 16, and and the internet growth basically underscores where, yeah, where where those dollars are coming from, right? I mean, the internet went from 11.6 to 42.2 percent of the same period, right? Internet is a 5.5 billion dollar advertising market in Canada right now. Right. That I mean. I think TV at its peak was maybe what three and a half billion, give or take. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know better than I. I, I yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm again going by memory, but at probably around three and a half billion dollars was TV. I mean, that is remarkable. The internet ad spend has now exceeded television in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, it was the lifeblood of the newspaper industry. Yeah. And now, um, yeah. So total TV new to uh, newspaper in 2007, three point eight billion. That's dailies and communities combined. Two point one three billion last year. Mm-hmm. So you're talking what? Uh, yeah, one point seven billion in lost revenue. So I mean, even within these 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 atrocious circumstances, people are doing wonderful work. But I don't really have much hesitation saying that the system, the framework within which they were trying to do their jobs as journalists, was was just degraded to the point where I I cannot shed a tear. Like I I, yeah. ju- I just feel like the sooner we start building something new, the better. Yeah. I would think that morale would have been an issue. Yeah. A small market daily, maybe 12, 15 people. It's down to three. 
it's, you know, yeah. it's got, and you're and you're doing seven eight beats as opposed to one it's, yeah you know it's it's maybe so if, if those people could somehow reform their careers and practice their 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 craft uh in, in a better circumstance they probably would take that you know it's just like how do i pay my mortgage at the same time is the question so that's yeah. okay so let's, let's do that then let's do that let's figure it out for them let's you and i build a a functional sustainable small market newspaper okay what do we do <laughs> well, wait a second. Uh, no print, I'm guessing. N- no, make it a digital only, a digital entity only. So you've got to cover council. You have to have a dedicated council reporter. You've got to hold local politicians accountable. Yeah, and the priority that's, list. That's probably number one, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I would argue, and, and this is, I, I have a bit of a bias here because of my background, but I would argue that local sports. Depending on the size of the community, but local sports is something that's important. People love to see their kids' photo, their name in the paper. Mm-hmm. There's a high school or a public school sports teams. They all do something. I mean, I covered all of that when I was uh, when I was a rookie reporter. And that's the shit that nobody uh, else is going to do. You're, you're not you're not pulling that off the wire. Why the hell right? does uh, yeah? What does post media care about uh, you know what's happening in uh, wherever? Yeah, Stainer, uh, Ontario. And, 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 and I mean, like that is how you build a business. You ask what is no one else doing yeah right like what can i provide to a market that people want people want to see their kids pictures they want it they want to know how their local teams are doing yeah that's what you you, you give people what they want right? yeah you you go to town on local people you fo- you've you, lots of photographs of local people i mean it sounds cliche i mean it's you know but it's but i think there's there's some merit to it like people like to see their name and their face in the newspaper it's a thrill but you have to apply some journalistic rigor to it uh, mm-hmm. You know, and then you got to have probably young, energetic people who are willing to work, to get out, meet people. There is every community has great stories. So, I'm going to add to the idea like there, there's no need to do the duplication. People can get their national news elsewhere. Absolutely, you don't even not. have to. Don't even pay whatever the no. fee is. But if you're no. going to aggregate anything, you know where a lot of that local like town uh, chatter has moved to is various Facebook groups. If you're going to aggregate anything, you could tell the story of your community by aggregating a lot of the stuff that people are talking about in those groups. Yes. And not all those groups are talking to each other. So the, the newspaper yep, can be a place and... where you're kind of uh, shattering people's bubbles a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think you can do that. And there's that, that's 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 easy content to generate, but it's just, it's exclusive content in a way. It's, it's content that, again, no one else is going to apply any kind of journalistic standards to that kind of chatter. Right. And then just, you know, sort of general news reporting, what's going on at, uh, what you know, the police arrested person X or yeah. whatever. You know, I mean, you've got you've to have an element of that. So that's editorial. Now let's talk about business. What's left work in the Work the hell out of local advertisers. Local advertisers. Work the hell out of them. Yeah. Where's local advertisers? Where's Joe's restaurant? Where, where's their avenue for advertising? Is that a dead... I mean, I, it was interesting. <laughs> I had a conversation just a couple episodes ago with Jeff Elgie at Village Media, and they're doing this. And he was saying that that actually local ads is a very rich source of revenue. That's where they make their money because even though those places are using Facebook and Google to present local ads next to local content is something that nobody else can offer. Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So that market might – And, and you know, I think it's a very rich vein uh, that can be tapped into. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know how lucrative. I mean, I, again, the, it's it's all – in many cases, I think it's all about – You've got to dial back 
your expectations of what your profitability looks like. I mean, we're, uh, look, <laughs> we, 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 we've defined the problem here. We're trying to get two to three people to have a salary every year. So exactly. That, you know, yeah. Uh, and, and those are essentially your fixed costs. You might not get there. You might not get there with those local advertising. And that's your job then. You kind of need one person just to sell the ads then. And then. And then yeah, you would need an ad. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that should never, <laughs> should not fall to the reporters. <laughs> I think that there is no future for this unless people are paying for their news. Because who knows what's going to happen with the ad, with the ad market? You know, advertisers it, follow it, eyeballs. I mean, that's, that's yeah. forever and always will be the case. Who knows? I mean, so. <laughs> whatever crumbs are left from Facebook and Google, some other app might come and, and swallow right. up, or, or Facebook will figure it out. Yeah. You know? Uh, if it's about putting local content next to local ads, then Facebook can probably figure out a way to do that too. Like, I think you got to sell your your content to your reader. Yeah, and but I, and again, I don't think that that is people. The internet, in a way, has uh, has conditioned people to expect free. Listen, I'm guilty of it as much as probably the next person, but I think. There's also a lot of merit, and I think maybe we're seeing a, a bit of a, a, a change there in, in attitudes toward, you know what, I'm willing to pay for something that provides value. You look at, I mean, you look at what's happening with the New York Times, the Washington Post, their, their paid subscriber numbers have gone up markedly because they're providing top-notch coverage, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of of the Trump administration. I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're rooting deep. They're... <laughs> the kind of stuff that only those type of journalists, I think, can do. I mean, it's, you know. That scales up for a few select players that can make that case that they're doing the real journalism on the Trump administration. Yeah, yeah. The, oh, yeah. I mean, that's. I don't know how applicable that would be to uh, our venture. Well, that's but, what I want, uh, yeah. so, so let me yeah. ask you that, because I, I, I've contended for a long time that people are ready for it, especially when their local paper goes down, that if you, if you essentially just knocked on people's doors and said, I'm going to put your kid's team in the paper, I'm going to cover our, our, our school superintendent, and I think I'm worth five bucks a month that people would, would get it and would sign up. But, yeah. I, but, I, but I'm, I'm speculating and I've never worked for a local community newspaper. You, you, yeah. you know those markets better than I do. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, again, some of it depends. I mean, it's, you know, I keep coming back to Orangeville because I did spend so much of my sort of the formative years of my career there. And Orangeville was, it was a weird sort of hybrid because you had that old guard sort of long time sort of Orangeville base. And then you had a growing bedroom community aspect to it, you know, where people were, hey, it's a lot cheaper to live in Orangeville. I can get to Toronto down Highway 10 in in an hour. And maybe they're not as plugged in or they don't care as much about what's going on in their local community. I mean, yeah, because you need a sense of of citizenship and and belonging in your community, which also has been degrading over the past 15 years. Well, yeah. So, I mean, you've got the... So then you go, I mean, you go further afield where... The big metropolis of Toronto is not uh, doesn't loom as large in people's consciousness, and uh, you know maybe you do have that people who are saying you know what yeah I am willing to pay X number of dollars uh, because you're providing me with content that that I'm interested in yeah you know I don't care about what what's happening in Toronto I don't need you as a national news source because I have myriad other sources uh, from Facebook to Twitter to uh, you know. The nightly news to whatever whatever your vehicle of choice is, but nobody cares or is doing anything with what's happening in my community. Yeah, the hyperlocal play. Yeah, it's hyperlocal, and I mean, you know, you've I've, people have been talking about how hyperlocal is going to be the way media evolves for a long time. This is not a, it's not a new concept. Yeah, but I think maybe I I don't base this on anything other than just sort of a gut feel, but I I kind of feel like you're going to see a bit of a 
renaissance, for want of a better word, in, in terms of this. I think there are there's probably enough disgruntled ex-journalists out there who say, you know what, God damn it, I can do this, and I, I don't need a corporate entity backing me. I can do this. And I, I, this happened, I think it was Port Hope. Something happened there with one of their local newspapers, and a group of reporters banded together to form a competitive entity. So for this renaissance to occur, let's move this from the theoretical to the practical. It will require the growing ranks of mid to late career set in their ways, uh, <laughs> possibly disgruntled, laid off, frustrated hacks, journalists. Oh, I hate that term. I know it's commonplace. I just I hate the you word. You got to wear a prom. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I, I self-identify it. So. <laughs> to do something really out of character for people who I think prided themselves on advertising and business concerns being something that happens on the other side of a wall. Yeah. They're going to have to actually get entrepreneurial and, and, and do this as opposed to just switch careers. Would you launch something? At the, how old are you? <laughs> oh. Is that an unfair question? Uh, I'm uh, approaching my fifth decade. Okay. <laughs> so is that is that is that something that you would do? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You thought about Absol- it? Uh, absolutely, I have. Yeah, I'm contemplating it right now as we speak. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I'm not young, but I'm not dead either. Yeah, and uh, you know, I still, <laughs> I love the business. I love speaking with people. I love interviewing people. I love getting into information and stories, and I think I can capably convey these ideas and concepts to people in a in a readable manner. It's just hard <laughs> to imagine doing something else after a certain point in time, isn't it? Oh, as a like. I find other than that. Ger- other than yeah. Ger- yeah. When I got laid off years ago, I had to go to, you know, you go to the unemployment office and they ask you for your skill set. And I said, well, <laughs> I can read and write. Is basically, that's my, that's my, <laughs> that's my basic skill set. <laughs> you know, and so I don't know how much that distinguishes me from the rest of the population. But, uh, hey, this is what I've got. Good luck, Chris. Thank you. Thank you very much. That is your Canada Land Show. You can email me about it. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com and I read everything you send me. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. If you like our Facebook page, then our news stories will show up in your Facebook news feed. That's a good way to get them. Another way to get them is to go to canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The producer of this episode is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. A brand new episode of Canada Land Commons, our politics show, goes online this week. Check it out. Subscribe. If you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. 